Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. This is episode 12. I am Christian Simmons, and I'm joined, as always, by Bailey Adams. You can find us on Twitter at by CA Simmons at Bailey G Adams 22. And go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now as well. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Pegasus podcast, we have big news. I am doing the intro for the first time ever. And personally, after looking back on it these last five seconds, I feel like I nailed it. You, you did an absolutely fantastic job. I did so good, in fact, that I'm now doing it for all the rest of the podcast. Thank you, Bailey, for the first 11 podcasts of intros. But it's time for a change, and I am now running the intros. Bailey will still be doing the news and notes because I don't think I can get <laughs> myself to talk for 10 minutes uninterrupted. And he knows more about all those topics than I do. But anyway, it's debatable. <laughs> Uh, it's really not that debatable. You gather the news every week. Like I learn it as you talk, like you'll say stuff and I'm like, oh, that was awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> so if you listened to the podcast last week, you knew that we were talking about our biggest questions for UCF's offense heading into 2021. This week, naturally, we will be talking about the defense. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in with our questions. We each prepared a few questions and we shared them with each other. Unlike when we did our hypotheticals and things like that. I did like the surprise element, but I also like I need to research these things. So yeah, I feel like especially. I feel like Especially with the defense, I think there's just so many unknowns. We were like, we got to figure out what we're going to be talking about a little bit. And even still, we didn't do as much prep as maybe we would have liked to. But I don't, I don't think, think you can't. I don't think you can prep to talk about this defense because no one knows what's happening. I don't think the coaches know what, what the answers are to these questions. I, I, that, that's So we're going to try to answer what UCS coaches can. So let's go ahead and hop right in. We're going to start with one of my questions, which it's a simple one, but I feel it's a very important one. And it's just, is defense going to matter again at UCF? And I get that sounds like a very, like, of course, defense matters. It's, you know, it's half the sport. Yeah, but, like, literally since Scott Frost took over at UCF, I don't think Frost or Heupel, I really don't think they cared about what the defense did as long as they weren't losing them games. I don't even think Heupel knew, like, the names of some of the players on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball. Well, that's the that's the interesting thing, too, because if you think about, like, Heupel's tenure and, and how he had Randy Shannon as his defensive coordinator – and we all were like under the under the impression they kind of just operated separately. So like, yeah, it's completely possible that Heibel had no idea what was going on with the defense at a given time. And it was all just left up to Randy Shannon. And whether or not that worked, you can probably figure that out for yourself based on what, what has happened on UCS defense over the last couple of years. But I want to like look back to 2016. And I don't know if it's just because the offense just couldn't figure anything out at that point of Frost's offense. But the defense in 2016 was pretty good. That's uh, the last the, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the last time I can think of where UCF had a defense that I felt confident in. And there were parts of 2017 where I felt good about it. But then that, you know, this two-game stretch with South Florida and, and Memphis to end the season, I was like, hmm. I mean, then, then they came out with on that great, great game plan against Auburn and completely blew my mind. But for the most part, I haven't really felt confident in UCF defense since 2016. My favorite uh, game from 2016 that really just illustrated how much UCF has changed in the last few years was the Tulane game. Ah, I was hoping you were going to say Tulane. <laughs> Which UCF won that game 37 <laughs> to 6. 37 to 6. The defense scored 21 of those 37 points in that game. The defense had three touchdowns. I just, I, that that year was literally like, and, and you understand why, because Frost was implementing an offense that was dramatically different than anything UCF had ever done with a true freshman quarterback. And it was just, and also the second half of that year, the offense, it was a lot of underclassmen. They just kind of ran out of gas. They were really just beat those last few games. So the defense literally like the defense is the reason UCF even got to a bowl game. They just put the entire team on their back. And, and it is interesting that, and that's why the kind of the point I'm trying to make is as UCF's offense got better within a year after that, they were arguably the best offense in the nation. They've been in that conversation every year since even last year, even though the wins weren't there. 
And as the offense elevated itself, the defense just fell off more and more every year. But that's not surprising because it's a product of this offense. And I guess I'm just curious. Malzahn hasn't explicitly said, but it sounds like UCS can be going a little slower than the last few years. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And he straight up said, if you are going to win championships in college football, you have to have an elite defense. You cannot do it with just an elite offense. And and he's just really going to be pushing that. And I feel like I'm willing to sacrifice the gaudy offensive numbers to have a better overall team. Like if you see up, like I was thinking about this past year, like when UCF scored, like, I think they had 37 against Temple or something like that. That felt like a disappointing game. Like we're at the point now where like UCF is in the thirties and that's disappointing on offense. I feel like those days need to be gone where that's our standard. Yeah. And I think like, that's the thing you would take it. If, if UCF wins a game, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't say you would take it. I would just say UCF fans might not at first, but I feel like they need to get to a point where it's okay. If UCF wins a game, 31 to 16 like that's that's fine what 16 point like the defense if the defense and that's the thing I'm glad you also brought up the point about how bad the defense was in part was due to the just the nature of this offense and how quickly it goes because I don't care who you have on defense if you've got an offense going out there that's going as quick as UCS would and sometimes would go three and out in like 10 10 seconds 12 second drives and you the defense just had just been off the gotten off the field after a long drive of their own like you're not going to stop the other team. That's just, I don't care who you have on defense. You could have all of UCF's best defensive players throughout their entire history on one defense. And if they're asked to go on the field, get a stop. And then, you know, the offense goes three and out immediately and they're back on the field, right. Just like that. They're not going to get any, they're not going to get any stops they're, they're, It's going to really struggle. So I think like Malzahn's been talking about the, the idea of playing more complimentary football, it has to be, it has to be exciting. I think for UCF fans, it should. Anyway, I know we were talking a little bit before we jumped on here and talking about how it just doesn't seem like people really care about defense as much as offense, but I don't really know why that's the case. Like, I don't know. I just, if you're, if the team is playing complimentary football and clicking on both sides of the ball, the team is more fun. Like the, if you, if you look at some of the games where it was rare, but under frost where the defense and offense were both clicking at the same time, it was just like, the offense would do something fun. The defense would come back out and, you know, get a turnover or something, get a sack and, you know, have a big splash play. And if, if it's clicking like that and and you're complimenting each other, you know, I think the games are going to be a lot more fun. And it, it kind of sucks when you're in those shootouts and you're like, oh, the offense is so fun to watch. You know, they're scoring points just like that. And then the defense gets on the field like, oh, well, we're about to give up a touchdown. We need the offense to get back out there. Like it just felt like at times that it was people resigned to the defense just giving up points. And I think, you know, it's interesting to ask this question, will defense matter again? Because, you know, from everything the coaching staff has been saying, it seems like that's like, you know, they want to play good defense. Well, speaking of the coaches, that's another signal to me that it is going to be a different style. And we are going to look a little different here because Travis Williams signing on as a defense coordinator signals that to me, not because I think that he like, well, I do, but it, not because of the idea that he's going to elevate the defense or be a great defensive coordinator. Did I say offense coordinator a second ago? I feel like no, I, I think you said defensive. Okay, cool. It's a lot of terms, guys. Yeah. But um, but he he's acknowledged widely as a rising star in college football. You don't take this job if Heupel's the head coach, if you're a rising star on the defensive side of the ball, because you're never no like. And that was kind of I almost feel like that was why Randy Shannon got so much money because he kind of knew he was signing on to never be eligible for another job because <laughs> with, with an, when you're paired with an offense like that, you're never going to have the stats necessary to catch the attention of other teams looking for head coaches. You're just not. I mean, no one's going to look at a team that gave up. Even before last year's disastrous defense performance, you look like 2019, 2018, that era, they were giving up 24, 25 points a game typically. 
that's not it's not bad but it's not catching the eyes of you know teams with head coach openings of for who are looking for some elite defensive head coach that's just not there and that's just kind of the way it works when you have an offense that plays that fast I mean the whole mantra of every defense in college football is get off the field get off the field get off the field and UCF's made it a point of pride of how they rank close to last in time of possession like every season for the last few years so it's just that doesn't mesh eventually and I feel like the the fact that they brought in all these top tier defensive coaches they wouldn't have come here unless they knew that defense was going to be a priority yeah, I absolutely agree. And like you said, with the time of possession thing, like you were seeing games where, I mean, I don't know the exact splits, but the, the splits were pretty crazy where the defense was on the field for UCF, I don't know, 38, 36, 30, like 40 minutes out of a, out a game. That just isn't sustainable, especially over a season, especially over a season like last year where UCF was already thin on the defensive side of the ball. And to ask them to go out there and, and play really good defense for 35 to 40 minutes a game just wasn't going to happen. Um, and so I think we'll see, I and mean, we'll see with personnel wise, how, how UCF looks this year, but I think just in general, the, the approach to the defense and the way they're kind of just going to look at playing more complimentary football, I think it's going to be a, a difference and a step forward from what UCF has been in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, an example of that is you look at the USF game this past year and I mean, oh. the defense, cause every offensive possession was essentially a touchdown in about 30 seconds or a three and a three and out that took 10 seconds. Like that was the, everything the offense did that game. So yeah. the defense spent the entire damn game on the field. And it was just a nightmarish game where you've got this one in seven team that is horrible, that the defense is so depleted already and just isn't getting a chance to rest. And it made it a game. And, and you talked about a while ago, the, and just to end, cause we'll move on to our next topic, but you talked about not too long ago, how, you know, don't you want, people don't seem to care about defense as much, just college football fans in general. Don't you want a team to be playing championship caliber football that includes that in complimentary football? The perfect example of that to me is two games that were played back to back in 2017, which was the Memphis conference title game, which was a fun game. And also one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched in my life. And then you had the peach bowl where both sides of the ball were clicking and you see like which one of those teams, and it was just a month apart, which one of those teams was looked like a championship team. Was it the Memphis team? Or was it the or was it the Memphis performance or the Auburn performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I would lean more toward the Auburn performance. Although I think there was aspects of the team that played against Memphis because, I mean, the offense against Auburn struggled at times and didn't really click like we were used to seeing. But they were playing up against an SEC defense, a good defense against a, a coach who's now their coach who was, you know, they had a good defense. Like they were, they prioritized defense in the SEC at that time anyway <laughs> how um, the world has changed in yeah. the last three years. <laughs> at that time but yeah i would lean more toward the auburn team because they just there was the there was the team against memphis that just couldn't get a stop and then you know they did luckily got the got the ones when they desperately needed them but it just it wasn't a sustainable way to play you know you're not going to win every I mean, if you're playing 62 to 55 games every week those are going to end up in, in a two to three games probably over a season aren't going to go your way and so if you're playing better defense and you're prioritizing defense more, I think you're giving yourself a better chance to win over the course of a season. Yeah. I mean, but, um, we've, we've mythologized yeah. the 2017 team. You look at USF, the two games they played like that back-to-back were USF Memphis, USF, they needed the Mike Hughes return, which is now the most famous playing UCF history to win that game. And people forget that Memphis was lining up for a game winning field goal at the end of the game. And it was just fate and flags that it didn't work out. But I, I so the, I, it, it could have gone, it could have literally flipped the other way in both those games. Cause when you play games like that and you play football like that, and we saw that in 2020, I, it's not always in your control. It's not going to always go your way. 
Yeah, I mean, if you, if you even just to, the last thing on this is if you look at the Memphis game from 2020, that was one of those games that it, it just didn't yep. go UCF's way. It didn't fall their way, and it's because they played a, a, one of those shootout games. So it's it's you, I think you kind of want to see moving forward. You want to see less of those games and more of the all right, actually having things under control on defense and maybe you you sacrifice some of that speed on the offense in terms of like the pace that they're going at, but it doesn't mean you have to be any less effective. Like you can still be an efficient offense and not go a mile a minute like UCF has been, but we'll move on, I guess, to the, to my, my first question. And this one's kind of centered, centering on one player and it's how does UCF replace even a shred of what it's losing with the departure of Richie Grant? Because if you look over the last few years, Richie Grant has been at times like the heart and soul of UCF's defense. And just a, a he's just a playmaker back there as a safety that, UCF is desperately, um, you know, going to have to scramble to find ways to replace. And there's no, there's no replacing a guy like him who's probably going to go, I think, pretty early on day two, or at least definitely on day two of the NFL draft uh, in, in April, later in April. And you can't just say, oh, yeah, this next man up, he's going to replace that production. But I just wonder, like, what's the safety position going to look like with Richie Grant gone? Because no one's, no one's, everyone got used to having just, oh, you know, there's other other guys leaving the defense, but we still have Richie. Now Richie's gone, and you kind of look at who's on the roster, and it's a bunch of question marks. And and I know we talked a lot last week about question marks, but again, running back and at receiver. But I feel like there's even more on the defensive side of the ball because, and it's part of the reason is is it's tough to look at UCF's roster and figure out who even plays safety because they list everybody as defensive backs, but. I looked at a, I just found a, I think it's just, it's a projection. So take it at like face value, but on ourlads.com, they kind of projected who UCF starting safeties were going to be. And they had Derek Gaines and then uh, behind him was Justin Hodges. And then I'm already like blanking on um, McMillan's first name. That's strong safety. But I, I, that's, I think that's even, <laughs> that's even a, speaks to where UCF is at the safety position without Richie Grant. It's just, we don't even know who's going to step up and there's some freshmen who are coming in that have, have experience, you know, playing safety in high school, but they've never played college football. So I really just, and I think you can probably do this for a lot of, a lot of points in the, the defense. There's probably replacing a lot of guys, but at the safety position specifically with Richie Grant gone, just how do you even approach replacing that guy? Well, frankly, from an NFL draft perspective, I would say the question really is how do you replace Aaron Robinson? <laughs> but uh we'll leave that for another day <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later in april maybe uh, <laughs> we'll be getting there once but once spring's over and we're begging for podcast topics but yeah. the thing about richie that to really understand his impact just go watch any ucf game from the last few years and anytime the other team has the ball just watch the ball because he'll end up there i mean literally yeah. on every play he was just so effective and yeah i just it's kind of funny because I was even thinking, you know, midway through the 2020 season, the police incident happened. And I think UCF kicked off four defensive starters. And I, was, I, yeah. I think you could argue that losing Richie is a bigger deal than losing those four guys. Like, I think that's honestly fair to say. I mean, he's just been so impactful. And I think the answer is they don't replace him this year. I don't think you're going to have a guy that steps up and is just that imp- on either side of the ball. That is just that impactful on his team. Yeah. And let me use, I mean, this might even be the way they have to approach it because they don't have that one guy that's like ready to step up. I mean, as far as we know, they don't have just a guy who's ready to step in. But if you think you're, you've seen Moneyball, right? You like the movie Moneyball? It's the only uh, time I'll pay attention to baseballs when I'm watching a movie. <laughs> okay, well, the, yikes for UCF baseball there. But um, Well, don't lose all your games. <laughs> but in that movie, I know people, I'm sure if you haven't seen it, uh, you'll understand just the 
the point about it is there was uh they were losing one of their their top players one of their first like the first baseman and rather than replace him with another star they decided to repl- try to replace his production with three different players and so i'm kind of wondering if ucf's gonna have to like especially early in the 2021 season if they're kind of just gonna have to put together you know a group of guys that they're gonna rotate in and out and see you know see who's going to take charge and who's going to take hold of that spot because you can't just put one guy out there and expect him to come up with the the production that Richie Grant had you're going to have to just maybe use a group effort at least for a little while until you see who's going to solidify their spots on the defense because it just yeah and and yes I like the point that you brought up is if you watch any game in the last few years and you watch the defense just watch the ball and Richie Grant's there so to to lose a player like that who has as big of an impact as he does it's especially for a defense that's already facing a lot of questions and was already not very good last year. It's uh, it's going to be a tough, a tough sledding for them to, to try to figure out where they go with that position. Yeah, definitely. And that's another example of why I've been trying to caution UCF fans that this may be, and we'll get into, uh, get into this a little bit with my next question, but this may be more of a transitional year than some fans are anticipating. Cause this is just another position that, UCF just doesn't know what they have yet. And you're right. It's not like they're just, I, I don't, I, there's no way that there's a player on the roster right now that is going to step in and do what Richie Grant did. And that's fine. You don't need that right now, but I do think they're going to have to play around. They're going to have to play some different guys and there's going to be ups and downs. I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes. One thing for me, that's another thing that sort of not only is leaving with Richie, but I feel like has been lacking for a few years maybe now is, I mean, who on the defense, who's the leader of that unit? Who is the leader of the defense? And last year, you could argue it was Richie Grant. Years before, there have been clear defined leaders, whether it was Shaquem Griffin or Pat Jasinski or Nate Evans. And it feels like that might have been part of the problem last Titus year. They didn't necessarily. Too. Titus Davis. I'm sorry. I can't believe I forgot Titus Davis. I mean, is there anyone on the roster that sticks out now that is going to be that guy? I don't think there's one that like sticks out. So it's obviously him. I think there are candidates. I think there are guys who are have been here for a couple of years now and could potentially be. That guy looks like, like Tremont Morris Brash. I look at him on the defensive line and think he could be a leader. He seems like, I think towards the end of last year, he seemed to be more one of the guys that would at least do the media stuff and, and speak um, like on behalf of the defense, that, that kind of stuff. But other than him, I think there's probably just a few guys like Eric Gilliard, maybe. Yeah. Uh, who I keep forgetting is on the roster somehow. <laughs> but <laughs> Eric Gilliard, I, mean, you know, I feel like it always, a lot, of, a lot of times it comes from the linebacker position, that leadership. And I guess it makes sense because they're in the, the middle of the defense. But yeah, there's not a Tatum Bethune, I think, came on strong last year, too. And maybe he's a future leader kind of guy. But I don't think you have that clear guy who's going to be the clear voice of, yeah, this is this is our leader. This is the guy we look to. And, and UCF has gotten used to having that. And yeah, like you said, I, I don't know that Richie Grant and, and I'm, not, I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know personally, but it didn't really feel like Richie Grant was at quite at that level of leadership like Shaquem, like Titus, like Pat, like Nate Evans but it still seemed like he was that guy for the defense and to not have, to not have him both on the field with the production that he had on the field, but also what he meant to the defense as a leader. It's uh it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit weird to see how UCF handles this. And I think that's what, that's where you kind of look at Travis Williams, who is a young coach. And I think he connects with the players really well. I think that's going to help, especially if they're trying to, it's going to be a transitional time for the defense, whether it's a transitional year or just, transitioning at the beginning of the season and trying to kind of figure things out for a few weeks. I think having a guy that the, co- the players can look to that the players like and that a player a guy that has experience as a player too, um, you know, pretty fairly recently, cause he's still young, but I think to have that guy 
I think he can kind of serve as that um, until UCF figures out who's going to be its its big leaders. Yeah, and I think the problem with Eric Gilliard is we also had Eric Mitchell who left the team as part of that incident last year. And like right. when he left, I was like, ah, Eric is gone. And that was just like, I, I just <laughs> forgot Eric Gilliard was still a thing. Yeah. yeah and, and don't forget, it's not just Travis Williams. We've got uh, David Gibbs, who's yeah. not only the co-defense coordinator, but the secondaries coach. So that ties right into this. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that they, they clearly have an all-star staff. I mean, this is just a fantastic staff. And so it's not necessarily to me that like, we can't find those guys who are going to step up and we can't find those guys who are going to fill those roles. It's just a question of how long it's going to take. And, and to answer, answer the question before we move on that we initially got on here, I don't, you, you just don't replace Richie Grant this year. Eventually. I mean, you'll always have guys eventually who step up like that. This isn't going yeah. to be the first guy. This isn't going to be the first defensive guy that UCF sending to the NFL early in the draft and he won't be the last, but I don't think that in 2020 there's there, there's just no way. <laughs> and, that, and that's an ode to Richie Grant and the impact he had. I mean, looking all the way back to, 2017 before he was even like a big deal wasn't he the one that forced the fumble at the end of the usf game that clinched he, that game i think he was yeah yeah i mean he just, and then there was 2018 years, where he just i think he had like five or six interceptions and yeah he, he had six interceptions uh, he, he just and, it took him i remember 2019 he was playing so well and the interception just didn't happen and then i think it was yeah. marshall in the bowl game <laughs> he yeah we got it but man i mean it's rare to have a defensive guy who literally over what like four seasons what mm-hmm. had a dramatic impact on the team so Shout out to Richie Grant. He should not be the. Uh, if somehow Aaron Robinson gets drafted ahead of him, I'm going to be annoyed, but it's fine. We'll, <laughs> well get prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. I'm trying. <laughs> With the 32nd pick in the NFL draft, Jacob Harris. <laughs> to the Bucks? Because the Bucks have the 32nd pick. So <laughs> I don't know. Oh, never mind. I don't well, know. I was about to say, I don't know the draft where I probably should be able to put together the Bucks have the 32nd pick. But anyway, yeah. so my next question is. For those of you who don't know, if you are a younger UCF fan and we're not here um, four or five years ago, um, in 2015, uh, UCF was quite bad at football. They uh, went 0-12, which um, for those of you who don't know, is typically a record you don't want to have in this sport. And uh, it, it was a lot of things, but of course, part of that was the the defense was just atrocious, as was the offense. I think the offense scored 14 points a game that year or something like that. But you look at the defense that year, they allowed 37.7 points per game, which Jeez. is... 118th of the nation that that that's a lot of teams ahead of them and 10 different opponents in 12 games scored 30 plus points on them and as we were just talking about 2016 was the last year that UCF had a truly really good defense they scored they allowed 24.6 points per game which was 42nd only six teams scored 30 plus points on them and we talked about they had games like against Tulane where they were they scored three touchdowns I mean it was a pretty miraculous turnaround, honestly. And obviously the other comparison there is that it was a new coaching staff coming in. So my question is, can UCF football do that again? Can, can they have that same type of turnaround from year to year where they jump from a really bad year to being a really solid defense? Yeah. And I think the, the good, the good part of this is they don't necessarily have to have as dramatic of a turnaround because the offense right now is much better than it was in 2016. So I think as long as they kind of get back to being maybe like an average defense rather than a really bad one, I think they're going to be, it's going to look a lot different. UCF's going to be much improved. Um, but, you know, when we went over our, or my prediction, I think we went game by game. And uh, when the schedule came out and I said UCF was going to be 10 and two, I was, and I still, still believe 10 and two is definitely a possibility and definitely probably would still be my prediction. But as I just looked at, you know, the defense this week and was prepping for this and to talk about the defense, I just remembered how, I don't know if scared is the right word, but how anxious I am to see 
if UCF is going to be able to figure it out on defense because there's just there's a lot of issues and a lot of just not going to say issues, but just there's guys that you just don't really know. You, you know, there's a lot of unknowns all around on different positions of the defense. And it's, you know, with the new coaching staff, we're going to see very quickly, you know, which guys stand out to them as, you know, these are going to be our starters. Cause you're probably going to see a completely, in a lot of ways, you're going to see a completely different starting lineup on the defense, whether that's because of, you know, graduations or, you know, going to the draft, whatever it is. Um, maybe some guys are just, you know, maybe had a spot last year and then played decently well, but there are some new guys or some guys that are stepping up that this coaching staff may like better, but it's to, to have a turnaround like they did from 15 to 16. I don't know if it's going to be as drastic, but the good thing is for UCF that I don't think it has to be. And I think it's, you know, you love to see a defense like 2016s again, but I don't think it has to be like that because of how you know potent the offense is. Definitely. But I mean, th- th- I mean, they're, there are some similarities as well. I mean, we talk about how guys are going to have to step up. I mean, there are so many starters from last year that just aren't back. But, I mean, going in, in 2015 and pre-that, no one knew who Shaquem Griffin was. It was 2016 that Frost came in and identified him, and he ended up obviously becoming one of the greatest defense players in UCF history. So I, I guess I'm trying to balance our last conversation with this and just that there is kind of hope here that there is precedent for just because the season was a disaster the year before, it doesn't necessarily mean that side of the ball is going to be such a mess again. I mean, we talked about, I think the defense was down to, I think it was one, one player who started against Georgia tech that was starting against BYU in the bowl. I mean, it was just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and obviously they had the whole four, they lost four starters halfway through the year, which by that point, the defense was already horrible. So it was kind of like, Oh no. Yeah. Lost four starters. Well, cause you remember when, when they came right back the next game against, I think Houston, right. Yep. The the defense had like its best first half of the whole season. And I was like, Oh, well, at least there's some promise here. And there's, which then just makes you lose total faith in the coaching staff when it's like (laughs) when you lose four starters and get better, it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, go ahead. I mean, the defense wasn't great, but it honestly wasn't like so post that incident where the players got kicked off the team. Their next two games, they allowed 21 points and 13 points. They held Cincinnati to 36, which isn't like good, but Cincinnati was scoring a lot yeah. of points on teams. And then it was just the last two games, the bottom just finally fell out against USF <laughs> and BYU. So I, yeah. I, and that should signal good things for the future because obviously those were a lot of younger guys and guys who are back who were, who were stepping up into those roles. So I, I just, maybe the defense can, and obviously they got the right coaches. Maybe the defense can orchestrate another turnaround, like what we saw from 2015, 2016. And if they do, even if it's a small version of that, because like you said, the offense is, it's, a, I mean, the offense was at literally square one in 2016 uh, right. after 2015. And that's not the case at all. Now they're supposed to have a very good offense this year. I I'm, Oh, and for the record, I'm sticking by my 10 and two prediction. No one is changing that this entire off season. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. We all want UCF to go to the peach bowl, but no, so that's what I'm, so that's, I, that's just kind of my take here is I, I reasoning for hope is that we have seen this before. We've seen a dramatic turnaround on the side of the ball before in pretty similar circumstances. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you did mention that about like kind of evening out what we talked about in the last point where we had so many unknowns at safety, but like you said, just because we don't know the players uh, right now, that doesn't mean, you know, there aren't some talented guys that we're going to get to know very quickly in 2021, but uh, we'll go ahead and move on to, to the final question we have about the defense. And it probably isn't really the final question we have. It's just the final question we're going to talk about because we could talk all day about all the unknowns on this defense. But we talked about a little bit about how the the defense is going to look a little bit different personnel-wise, obviously, because they had, they're had they going to have repla- so many replacements on the defense. But kind of scheme-wise, I'm just curious to see what Travis Williams' scheme looks like. This is his first time being a defensive coordinator, and that's why I think having David Gibbs alongside him will be so valuable. 
but my question is, will Travis Williams defense be more aggressive than Randy Shannon's was? Cause we were sitting at that USF game at the end of November. And I mentioned to you how it seemed like on every play, UCF just left the middle of the field wide open. And it didn't seem like they really did much in terms of, you know, blitzes or, you know, just bringing pressure on the quarterback. So I'm just curious to see is, is UCF going to take advantage of the speed they're going to have on defense you know, these guys are a lot of these guys are Florida athletes. They're coming from Florida. These are good athletes that can move that are big. You know, can they take advantage of the personnel they do have and go after teams and, and not be so passive? Because it really just seemed like at times Randy Shannon's scheme was, was, was just that it was passive. And, you know, guys were, were waiting back to see what was going to happen rather than, you know, and they were reacting rather than push, pressing forward. So I kind of want to go through this quote from, from Travis Williams. I think uh, I found it on uh, UCSports.com from Brandon Helwig. Um, I think it might've been from his opening presser, but they asked him about, you know, what his defense is going to look like, what he wants it to be. And he said, multiple, we're going to be attacking. We're going to be mixing up different things. We really want to keep offenses off balance. We don't want to let them dictate to us. We want to dictate what we're going to do to them by being aggressive, disguising different things. So, you know, that quote right there, seems like an answer to my question is, are they going to be more aggressive? It seems like, yes, that is the the goal. And that is um, how they're going to approach things. I just want to see how that's going to look on the field, because I, I don't remember in past few years, UCF's defense being aggressive almost at any point. Well, let me just say first off that it's truly shocking that a defense that practiced against an offense that doesn't use the middle of the field would uh, have difficulty defending <laughs> the middle of the field. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, honestly, that quote feels way more on brand for what UCF's and UCF's defense should be yeah. than what it has been. I mean, isn't that what we're going for? Isn't that the whole idea of UC fierce? I mean, isn't that, hasn't that been the narrative for years now? So, and you talk about being passive, that just, that kind of was a thing throughout Randy Shannon's tenure, more than just how the defense played. I mean, you remember how many games in 2018 was it like, we're sitting here, like he's going to have to put in Tristan Hill. This isn't going to work until they play Tristan Hill. And it would have been, and then like, finally when like UCF's down 21, he's like, all right, guys, Tristan Hill can play. And it's just yeah. like, and I, I don't know if there were off the field issues or what there, because clearly there was something going on, but it's just, it was just sort of things like that where, yeah, Randy Shannon, it always felt like slow to adjust. And I just, I don't, yeah. I'm, I hope that we're seeing the end of that. I hope we're seeing a more aggressive defense. And I think that's where the whole second half Randy thing came from. I think he, he sometimes felt like he could only make adjustments at halftime. Like when they yeah. went to the locker room, that was like the only time he could make adjustments. And it'll be interesting to see, especially as a young coordinator, if, if Travis Williams is going to be able to make those adjustments on the fly, unlike Shannon seemed to do a, a lot of times. And I, I think that quote really, to me, seems very promising and very exciting because when I, when I think about, you know, it sounds a lot like, and I'm going to bring the bucks into this again, but, it sounds a lot like when the Bucks hired Todd Bowles to be their defensive coordinator and the Bucks had been a bad defense for years. And Todd Bowles came in and said, you know, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to be multiple. We're going to run a three, four, we're going to run a four, three. And we're just, yeah, we're going to attack. And I mean, we've seen the last year how much that paid off the second half of, of his first season, they were much better on defense. And then this past year, they were much better on defense. So it sounds a lot like what Todd Bowles runs with the Bucks is what Travis Williams wants to run at UCF. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be different scheme wise and all the, the details of it, but the, the philosophy of it sounds very similar. And that's, that's very promising, very exciting to me. Um, I just, I can't wait to see it on the field. Yeah. And like you talked about, obviously one thing that I feel like we should, I don't know, maybe we should be cautioning this. Maybe I'll be completely wrong, but you know, you've got a defense coordinator in uh, Travis Williams, who's an up and coming guy. And it, it seems like if things go well, he's not going to be here super long. Cause it seems like a lot of teams have pegged him as a guy to be a head coach down the road. 
but part of that is we're you know there might be points, especially when he wants to play that style of defense, where there's gonna there's gonna be some mistakes. There might be moments that we don't want to happen, and that's why I kind of like that they've also got uh, David Gibbs as the as the more experienced co-defense coordinator. Who it seems like the roles they've kind of set up is Travis Williams is running the show, but he's kind of there in the background as like a teacher and sort of like you know just sort of like kind of like a safety net, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it just feels like they've got the right coaching staff set up. It's just a question of if they got the right players and hopefully they do. And I mean, yeah, hopefully this works out because that would be a lot more fun and a lot more on brand for UCF. Yeah. And for, like you said, for the, for the way they have things set up, I think Williams has said he's going to be calling the plays on defense. That's like, that's going to be his role. And like you said, it's going to be good to have, I think Gibbs right there alongside of him because he's been, he's been around the block a lot more than, than Travis Williams has, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of wraps it up for what our questions are about the defense. And this was a, a one thing that we wanted to do, you know, leading into the spring game, which is, is Saturday, uh, April 10th. And as you're listening to this, it might have already happened. But, um, you know, we wanted to have some some good 2021 UCF football talk before the spring game happened. And of course, we'll be back next week to break that down. But unless you have any other uh, bonus questions on the defense, we'll go ahead and move into the new section. I do have a bonus question. What uniform what combo? Okay, I didn't know how that was going to tie well, in. the defense, defense wear in the spring game? I'm a little worried. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Because, I, I, uh, so, all right. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a uniform tangent. You're just going to have to deal with it. We're going to go really quickly here. So yeah. I am of the impression that teams should go all out as far as uniforms for spring games. And uh, UCF's done that exactly twice. They did it in Frost's first spring game, and it was because they knew they were getting new uniforms, so they just didn't care what happened to the old uniforms. They just wore them straight up. Then it was 20, the, I guess it would have been the 2017 spring game because it was after 2016. They went full on like decals and everything. They had the chrome gold black helmets that they wore for the bowl. I assume they just kept them around for that. And then they wore their full uniforms. Since then, they've done this weird, like kind of like hybrid thing where like the jerseys and pants are their legit uniforms, but they just wear their practice helmets, which like, okay, whatever. I Fine, I, I whatever. But, and then I don't know. I, pretty much every team wears their legit uniforms for their, for their spring game. But if there was ever a coach that would just have them wear the practice unis, it would be Gus. And I'm a little worried that that's going to happen. I have no idea what they're doing for uniforms, but that would concern me because my thing with spring games, especially when you're UCF and you're a combo, a combo team is use the spring games to wear combos. You know, you're never going to wear in a game. Like just wear something stupid for fun. Like bring the gold pants out. Who cares? Like just have fun with it. So I hope that's what they do. I don't know what they're going to do. It's legitimately stressing me out. Let me just say that I'm not surprised that you're, you you started that whole thing with I'm I really care and I, I think it really matters what a team does uh, wears for their bowl or for their uh, spring games. I'm gonna be like just just let me tell you I'm not surprised that you're of that opinion. You said it like you were like honestly like this is just this is just my thing, but like everybody knew that that goes. Well, you saying. want you want you want your spring. Well, maybe you don't because apparently coaches <laughs> don't care about spring games. But you should want it to be as close to a real game experience as you can get to really see what these players are like. That's why you have fans in the stands, whatever. So shouldn't part of that be having their legit uniforms in their locker they're putting on? Don't smile like that. Like that's ridiculous. That's a good point. I mean, no, it's it's a good point. Yeah, it is a good know. point. That's why I made. I it. just don't think a lot of coaches look look at it like that, and I don't know that um, Gus will. But we'll see on Saturday, and and we'll. I, I know. We're going to be talking about the spring game when we come back next week for episode 13, but I know part of that next week's episode is going to be just your review or your, what you have to think about uh, what uniforms they wear during the spring game. Cause and if they I know wear their one, practice way uniforms, the other, one way or the other, you're going to have an opinion on it. If they wear their practice uniforms, which I don't know if they will, and they shouldn't, since no one does that, but if they do, you, it will be a one hour rant of just explaining why that was a horrible decision and how UCF has ruined my life. So tune in next week. <laughs> just give me the week off then. Um, <laughs> go ahead and move into the news section to wrap things up here. Uh, football wise, the only thing 
I think it's worth mentioning is uh, former Orlando Magic coach Stan Van Gundy. He respects UCF football. Uh, he said on Twitter the other day that they're now on par with the others in the big three and maybe even better. He was replying to a tweet, just a random tweet about how Randy Shannon has now coached at, you know, that he's at Florida State um, as a defensive analyst. He's coached at Florida State, Miami, and Florida. And then Stan Van Gundy replied and was like, don't forget UCF. They're on par with the other, the other three, and they may be even better. And I was like, he just saw that tweet and was like, I need to stick up for UCF. So, Which, for the record, Tim Reynolds is the guy who tweeted it. Calling you out, right. Tim Reynolds. Um, first off, someone rep- a lot of people replied. We're like, you forgot UCF. He, he, was defense, he was just defense coordinator at UCF. And Tim Reynolds replied to one guy and said, UCF isn't big three. First off, oh, hello, a journalist. <laughs> I didn't realize that changes where a guy coached, whether they're quote-unquote big three or not. Good Lord, dude. Second, what? Like, it was just so stupid. So, and then after he, so he says that and everyone's jumping on. Yeah. Then Stan comes in, by the way. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Magic fan and have been my whole life. And Stan Van Gundy is like right up there with like God to me. So that was really <laughs> cool to see him represent uh, UCF on Twitter. But he says that and Tim Reynolds replies and is like, yeah, got to show UCF oh. the respect with like the exclamation point. It's I'm like, that classic. It's yeah. the classic thing, like when you see someone like talk trash or somebody on Twitter, and then the person actually replies to them, like, "Oh no, I was just kidding, like big fan of yours." Like, yeah, that's exactly respects. what it was. Yeah. Oh, it's just it was just jokes. Follow like, back. yeah, it literally is just it was exactly like that. But pretty cool to see from from Stan Van. Um, volleyball, they had a, a massive weekend. They won three to two in Friday's AAC tournament semifinal. They beat Tulane three to two in a very tight, <laughs> very tight match, scary one, uh, to advance to Saturday's final which they won three to one over Temple to win their third consecutive AAC championship. Uh, McKenna Melville was named the most outstanding player in the tournament. That's her second straight uh, award from the tournament. She, uh, Melville and Marie Watson and Narissa Morvek were all named to the all tournament team. Melville was also named the AAC player of the year. Melville and Watson were named to the all AAC first team while Morvek was named to the all AAC second team. And somewhat surprisingly, Todd Dagenet was named AAC co-coach of the year, even though I don't think what any other coach did uh, in, in the AAC was on par with what Dagenet did, but Hey, at least he got co-coach of the year, I guess. What, you, you didn't find Temple's 11 and six record impressive enough to warrant a co-head coach of the year. I figured when I saw his co-coach of the year, I figured, Oh, there must've been something like something that this guy did. And I went and looked and just basically in the release from the AAC, I was like, that's, that's it. Like, I, don't I don't know what happened. I I'm genuinely like, I'd like to hear the reasoning behind yeah. why. Like it's one of those things that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I was just kind of like, but why? It was just, yeah, it was just a curious thing, but it's with weird UCF, when it's weird when two coaches play and one coach's team wins and then the conference goes, you're both the same. Like, yeah. Like, well, especially when one team goes 16 and one and undefeated in the conference, the other team goes 11 and six. And I think Temple was like, they, I think there were 500 in the conference. So I don't know. He must've done something off the court. That was really great. And props to him. Congratulations. Uh, but with UCF winning the AAC tournament, they secured the AAC's auto bid to the NCAA tournament. And this is their third straight tournament appearance. They'll start uh, with the first round next Wednesday, a matchup against High Point, who is 16-0. They play in Omaha, Nebraska. And then with a, if they win, they'll move on to face number seven overall seed Purdue uh, in the second round. Softball had a tough weekend. And, and just as we were praising them last week, I remember Christian said, hey, well, they lost. Right after we were talking about how great they were doing. Uh, they lost three or four at Tulsa, but we'll chalk that up to just it being UCF playing Tulsa. Uh, they lost five to one on Thursday, five to four on Friday before coming back with a six to one win in the second half of the doubleheader on Friday. Then they won seven to three or they lost seven to three on Saturday. So they're now 25 and nine overall and five and three in the AAC uh, baseball. They started conference play over the weekend, splitting a four game series at South Florida. They won five two on Thursday in the conference opener, uh, lost six to two and three to one in um, both doubleheader games on Friday. And then they won three nothing on Saturday to secure the split. 
They're now 12 and 16 overall and two and two in the AAC. Uh, men's soccer, their turnaround, you know, continued and they're now in a great position. They won two to one against SMU on Friday's senior night. They fell behind one nothing in the third minute before Luca Dorado equalized in the 64th minute and Gino Vivi na uh, nabbed the winner in the 76th minute. It's UCS fifth straight win. They're now six and three and sitting on top of the AAC and they can clinch the top spot in the conference, I believe, definitely with a win. And I believe if Tulsa loses or draws against South Florida, I still think they can clinch that way no matter what they do uh, in their final game. Yanis Learman uh, named the AAC's Defensive Player of the Week, while Luca Dorado, who had the equalizer against SMU, and uh, Beto Idrach, who had two assists against SMU, they were named to the AAC's Weekly Honor Roll. And UCS back in the rankings this week, number 25 in the College Soccer News Top 25 and number 24 in the United Soccer Coaches Poll. So quite the turnaround. They've won five straight, and you know I think they started the year ranked 10th or something like that and very quickly dropped out of the rankings. And, hey, now they're back with uh, one game to go in the regular season. A little bit of men's basketball news this week. Isaiah Adams announced that he was entering the NBA draft while maintaining his eligibility. So one of those things where he'll gauge to see where he's at. And I would be surprised if he's not back next year. I mean, I, I think you feel the same way, right, Christian? Yeah, I just told I it, we've I mean, they do this every year. It does not. Taco, mean, I, mean, I know Taco, Taco did, did it last year. Some, a couple guys did it last year, I think, too. It's not that I think uncommon. You're right. It doesn't mean they're good. It just gives them the chance to start forming those relationships and understanding the process. That's really all it is. Yeah. So good stuff for him. I, part of uh, it is I don't know why UCF is so determined to post these like goodbye messages whenever players do. this. Yeah. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. It's like, oh, thanks. Like I say, like, I think he might be back. So let's let's <laughs> relax on that for a little bit. Um <laughs> But men's tennis, they, they continued to roll. They won four to three against number 37, South Florida on Saturday and five to two against number 25, Tulane on Sunday. They're now 15 and three overall and four and oh in the AAC. They ranked number nine in the Oracle slash ICA team rankings this week. Uh, the first top 10 appearance in program history. And they were number 13 in the USTA college tennis top 25. Gabriel DeCamps just continued to have a monster season. He was named the AAC, AAC player of the week for the fifth time this year and his third straight week. Um, so he's just he's just killing it and a weird note because I think we've been doing these uh, reading off the singles and doubles rankings for the past few weeks the ITA has announced that they're pausing singles and doubles computer rankings for this week um, based just they're trying to figure out what which the way what's the way to go the best way forward I guess to accurately represent the singles and doubles rankings so I thought that was weird for the what? middle of the season for them to yeah I, I, that's all I know I read the thing on the website because UCF hadn't posted it and I was like well that's kind of weird so I went to the ITA website and that's what I got so no They're singles like, or wait a minute rankings. UCF <laughs> is in the top 10 we gotta figure <laughs> yeah. out what's going on here that's the thing is that, so the team rankings the team rankings are still there the singles and doubles rankings for both men's and women's tennis just not this week maybe next week we'll see um, women's tennis though they were they won four to two at number 41 Oklahoma State on Saturday then lost four to one at number 33 Oklahoma on Sunday so they're now 12 and four overall and one to know in the AAC. Uh, they were ranked number 17 in the Oracle slash ITA team rankings and also number 17 in the USTA college tennis top 25 this week. So uh, for the record, ITA yeah. team rankings are still fine for women's tennis. No. So the team rankings are there for both men's. And okay. Women's. And it's singles and doubles. It's just singles okay. and doubles. Yeah. Like the individual player rankings that for some reason this week, they're like, Oh, maybe that's not the best way to do this. Whatever their computer rankings. I don't know how all that goes goes into it but it's just weird for the middle of the season for them to be like i don't know if this is the right way we should be doing this let's uh figure this out for those of so, you who have not figured out by now i do not watch tennis go on <laughs> uh men's golf they uh sat in sixth after one day at the augusta haskins award invitational and then they finished tied for sixth after day two 
uh, Johnny Travale, Travail, I don't know how to say his last name. I messed it up. Um, he was seven under for the tournament and he tied for sixth individually. He was also uh, named AAC player of the week for a strong tournament outdoor track and field. They had three event wins at the USF invitational on Saturday. Renaya Jones broke her own freshman record in the 100 meter hurdles. Latasha Smith won the other uh, won the 400 meter dash and uh, Adrian Adams won the discus with a personal best. So uh, another good showing for outdoor track and field and rowing. They had four wins on, on Friday in the Sunshine State invite and then four wins on Saturday for a total of eight on the weekend. If you like my math there, four plus four is eight. Eight wins on the weekend for uh, UCF rowing. So they continue their season, uh, to the strong season, strong start to their season, excuse me. Um, and we'll finish the road ahead, uh, what's on the schedule for UCF over the next week. The spring game, like I mentioned, is on Saturday for UCF football. Volleyball will play a high point in the tournament, first round of the NCAA tournament on Wednesday um, in Nebraska. And if they win, they'll play Thursday against Purdue. Uh, softball, they have a weekend series, a doubleheader Friday against ECU. Then they finish with Saturday and Sunday at ECU. Then they have another big one, Wednesday at number five, Florida. And the last time they played Florida, that was an instant classic. So hopefully uh, another, another good result for UCF softball there. Baseball has a weekend series at Cincinnati. They'll play a doubleheader Friday before finishing up on Saturday and Sunday. Men's soccer closes their regular season Friday at Memphis. Women's soccer is back after a week off with a, a match Sunday against Houston at home. Men's tennis will play Sunday against North Florida and then Monday against number 29, Wichita State. So that's a big conference matchup there. Uh, women's tennis Friday against South Florida, Warren I-4. Uh, and then Thursday at Florida State, so another in-state game for them. And then outdoor track and field, they will uh, be back on it this weekend. Uh, excuse me. They'll be back on it this weekend, Friday and Saturday, at the Miami Alumni Invite. And uh, with that, Christian, Uniform of the Week. We'll uh, recap the winners real quick, and we'll go to you. Uh, our last our last Uniform of the Week before UCF football is eligible again for one week only. Uh, gray Pegasus for men's soccer has won twice. The Blackout for men's soccer has won twice. Women's basketball's black uniforms have won once, and baseball's Pegasus uniforms have won once. Let's see if we've got a new winner this week, or uh, if we're going to have another uh, another three time a three time winner for men's soccer, maybe. Okay, listen, men's soccer is just like exclusively wearing that blackout kit now. They wore it again this week, Did and they? yeah, and my my take on this is listen. I'm not picking it this week. Oh. And it's because I like it so much that they need to stop wearing it. It's making it not special. It would be like if UCF wore the space uniforms every single game. So while it was the best uniform worn in the kingdom this week, it is not my pick for uniform of the week because seriously. Also, they have other really good uniforms. So I don't know why they're like, yeah. as much as I love this one, because I really freaking love it. I It also might just be like, they're just not losing games. So they're like, we're just going to wear this that until we definitely leave. could be it. Teams so, get superstitious with that kind of stuff. Yeah, so unfortunately, that was a pretty weak week. But um, we are going to go with UCF baseball. Congratulations on your normal road grays. I love it. Yes. I'm going yes. to shout them out because Bailey likes them a lot and a lot of people I like do. them a lot. And let's be real, it's gray. So I'm always on board with it. So those are the winners this week. Baseball takes the crown back. Finally, baseball's back on it again. I just like the I just like those grays. Just I know you've heard me talk about this, but I'll let all our listeners know. I just like them because it just seems like a classic baseball uniform. Okay, classic, hear me out though. Classic road grays. What? The gold UCF stack look on the chest? Yes. Make it, make it black. Okay. I'm trying to picture it. I'm having a hard time picturing it, but... I'll send you a photo. Okay. Wait, how do you have a photo of that? Did you Photoshop this? Uh, next week on the Pegasus <laughs> podcast. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So Christian <laughs> took the time to Photoshop that and it was just waiting for this moment to send it to me. But uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and, and move on to uh, our, our last final comments here. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening as always. And we're 11 episodes in now, or wait, we're 12 episodes in now, aren't we? Yes, it's the 12th. We're 12 episodes in now and I've already lost count. So that's great. Um, next week we'll be back for a, a spring game recap. Christian might rant about uniforms. Maybe he'll praise the uniforms, but we're hoping to get a guest on actually our second guest ever for uh, next week's spring game recap. Um, you know, we won't let you know who that is quite yet, but uh, you'll have to tune in to find out. Actually, you'll probably find out on Twitter before, but uh, until then you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams, 22 at by CA Simmons and at night sports. Now. And once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Pegasus podcast. Bye, everybody.